and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back again with you guys for another episode of our, well, the View from the Clock End series, I should say, which is our weekly episodic podcast in which I'm joined, as always, by Chief Arsenal Writer at Football London, Kaya Karnak. How are you doing, mate? You good? You well? Um, yeah, as, 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 as listeners are probably able to tell by my voice, a um, bit of a cold at the minute, but I'm willing to power through the, the pain in my voice just to, to talk about if there's any game you can talk about, then it's definitely this one. It's... Um, yeah, definitely worth being on the pod today. I'm very excited that we could do it on the Monday just because there's so much to talk about and uh, it's very nice. So any chance to relive that moment, I'm happy to to power through this sore throat because it's going to be a, a fun pod, I think. Yes, uh, I'm in different surroundings as well. I'm in the office here in, in Canary Wharf. Um, as yeah, I, I mean, as West, as East London rather goes, you know, East London's not been great for football this season for West Ham, which you can actually see from the building in the distance if you could focus in on what's behind me, but the cameras not allow you to do that. But uh, in North London over the weekend, it was a frenetic, dramatic, and emotional uh, end to our game against Bournemouth, which of course did end with. Maurice Nelson scoring his third goal of the Premier League season, which is, I think, more than a certain 100 million euro Brazilian at Manchester United has managed so far. Uh, and certainly three more than a certain 60 million pound Brazilian at Spurs has managed so far this season in the Premier League as well. Um, we were there, Kaya. It was an unbelievable day. Talk me through your reaction to the win. Yeah, I think the 97th minute is when I started to lose my voice uh, because <laughs> you and I were sat next to each other and I just I let off this a second the goal went in. It was just this high-pitched squeal of it's in, it's in, it's in. That's all. That's all. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the, it's the closest I've come to running up and down the steps in the press box because it's just it's not something you ever see and it's an incredible match. And I think, and maybe we'll get onto this in the question section because we've got a few good um, questions about it but I think it's the best day there's ever been at the Emirates personally that I've experienced and I'm sure people will disagree but um, yeah it was it was an amazing day obviously when the goal goes in in the first 10 seconds it's it's a pretty good indicator that it's not going to be a, a normal day it's pretty good indicator that this is going to be a balmy game and just get used to it, basically. And from that point on, it was just attack versus defence and Arsenal were trying to score. They couldn't. And Bournemouth, if anything, had the better chances to score on that counter-attack when Aaron Ramsdale pulls off that fantastic save. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then they get one corner compared to Arsenal's, I think, 17 in the day and they, they score from it. And you start to think, oh, bloody hell, here we go again. Because I think following Arsenal as long as you and I have um, we've seen this film before let's say um, where Arsenal get themselves into a fantastic position in the league and a team comes along that they should beat and the one that was coming to my mind was Crystal Palace under Unai Emery a few years ago where Arsenal all they had to do was win that game and they were more or less guaranteed top four and um, they messed it up and Palace barely came forward but Squadron Mustafi and Bernd Leno had both made mistakes and from that point on, Arsenal's top four push was doomed and this time around it was it was different. And I think the fact that Thomas Partey scored when he did gave, you know, you, you sort of you get about half an hour left, I think, after that. And you start to think, okay, okay, maybe something could happen. And then Ben White scores pretty soon after that. And when there's about twenty minutes to go, you start to think, okay, you know, something could happen here. But as that last corner swung in, I think You'd have to be a liar if you said you thought there was going to be a goal, particularly when the ball dropped onto onto Reese Nelson's 
left foot, I don't know about you, but for me, when that happened, time just totally slowed down and you watch it back on the replay and it happened so quick and mm. we'll get headed out and within seconds, Reese Nelson has smashed it in. But just that moment where he's, the ball sort of, he's chesting it down, it's just dropping perfectly onto his left and he's just getting ready to, and he sort of leans a little bit back, but not too far back. And he just gets ready to unleash that shot. And, Oh man, it's it's amazing how moments like that just go in slow motion, and I think everyone in the stadium just let, let out this this roar of just joy. Relief. <laughs> oh, all the emotions, limbs everywhere, all the all the things you guys saw, and um, it was it was an amazing day to be at, and I think it will it will live long in the memory, whether Arsenal win the title or not. I think this will go down as a historic day at the Emirates Stadium, and I mean. Listen, they host um, Wolves on the final day at home. And I think that will be definitely a time when people start to maybe look at a better day at the Emirates if Arsenal lift the Premier League then. But until that point, I think, you know, Saturday goes down as, as the best I've ever seen. And, you know, I think it's the best moment I've ever lived in at the Emirates Stadium. And yeah, all the all the all the Twitter afterwards, all the all the videos of Mikel Arteta running down the touchline, high-fiving a child and then realising there's a child on the pitch. <laughs> amazing, amazing. The Ben White celebrating in front of Neto, uh, Gabriel collapsing to his knees, Erdegaard collapsing to his knees, all the videos. And it being Reese Nelson of all people who I don't think there's too many more love players at the Emirates, homegrown boy, very nice guy, um, had a really bad run of it recently with injuries. He got his opportunity just as the World Cup was coming back and then pulled his hamstring in the game before and you know I don't think there's too many guys who deserve it more and I think the fact that it was so unexpected as well I'm aware I'm rambling I've been talking for nearly five minutes about this and I'm supposed to have a sore throat but it's worth it for a game like that because yeah it's it's a totally totally unbelievable day and it was it was a great occasion to be at mm. yeah I mean so glad we were yeah when you know I found out fairly late that I was going to be going into the game on on the Friday um and you know you don't you don't really think much of it when you know you think and it sounds really entitled to say but a home game against Bournemouth there is an expectation amongst supporters they're going to a game to watch you think Arsenal to fairly comfortably get past their opponents I mean we were talking nine nil in the yeah we were talking pre-match about how many goals we need to score to close the goal difference on City stuff and we don't this isn't being said in like a disrespectful manner to Bournemouth it's just regarding kind of what Arsenal have done this season and you know the expectation around this club and you look at the home games this season and you look at all of them and you think they're winnable. You know, I know that we lost to City, but fans went into that game confident we could get a result, a result against them maybe prior to the news regarding Thomas Partey's availability for the game. But I think that when you go into this game, it doesn't. It didn't really matter the context around. And I know there was a lot of rival supporters, we talked about this on this morning's um, Arsenal Way agenda show, saying, how can you celebrate a win against Bournemouth like this? And... It just removes all context but to say that of what it is and to, to think that any supporter of any club wouldn't celebrate wildly in that moment for that goal in that position is mad um go on i feel like you're gonna jump in no no no, no. no. <laughs> stay just i think it was more my mouth open in, in shock at the fact that anyone would, would hold that kind of opinion with any mm. sincerity but yeah 
But I think that, you know, for me, that as you said, in terms of Emirates moments, when we did the uh, we did the the agenda yesterday and we were talking about uh, moments, Umar suggested a, a few um, in, in terms of what measures up. Thierry Henry scored against Leeds. Um, obviously a, emotionally an, a, a huge moment. Arshavin against Barcelona, 2-1. Um, Welbeck against Leicester uh, during that season was the other one. And I think there might have been one other one, but I Maybe on in Yeah, potentially. Um, was that the header? Yeah, yeah, the header. And there was also uh, the Bayern Munich game as well was, was the night that I don't think many people who were there will forget. The one they won, obviously, yeah, not the one they lost 5 1. Yes, not the 10 2. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely not that one. No, the one with Ozil uh, just crossing the line with his shot. Um, the, the, the fourth, no, the, is it the fifth official? Gave the ones that stand on the line with their their poles. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, but obviously it was an amazing day. And I think it will go down as you say in, in Emirates history, and, and who knows, maybe there'll be even bigger moments between now and the end of the season. Um, just in the context of the game overall, there was a number of moments where Arsenal felt aggrieved um, with kind of decision making, and again officials, and that wasn't talked about at all after the game because. Frankly, no one gave a you-know-what about that because it had just been such a, an emotional end. But in reflection, there were times where Arsenal feel aggrieved and a lot of supporters felt like um, we should have been handed penalties. There were, I think if you go through them, six separate incidents that weren't given in Arsenal's direction. The first one is in the first minute because as Bournemouth score, there are three Bournemouth players in Arsenal's half. Um, the next one that comes is, I believe, on Mepham as the ball drops onto his arm, uh, challenging with the ball with Fabio Vieira, but that's quite high up on his arm and I think is, is probably not a penalty. The next one is the Tommy Asu, um, I think it's uh, Senesi that tackles him, uh, or might have been Stevens, one of the two, from behind. Uh, and Dermot Gallagher on Sky Sports today was saying that it's impossible to know who got to the ball first, which I'm kind of like... Isn't that what the camera angles of VAR are there to try and determine in some ways? And it was pretty quickly and swiftly checked and, and moved on from. The next one is Erdegaard strike that hits, I think it's Senesi's arm again, uh, which goes out for a corner, which then leads to the Zinchenko chance that leads to the next corner that we actually win. I think before that, though, there's one from Saka that hits uh, Stevens on the arm and hits the post. And that could be argued. Gabriel Bill Billing as well, that one. Yes. Yes, and the Gabrielle Billing one, which is Billing's arms kind of up and it hits him on the arm and nothing's kind of said. I think proximity maybe is the reason why they didn't give that one. But of any of them, I think most people would agree that the Bournemouth goal shouldn't stand if they do check that because it's one of those. But I feel as though if it was the other way around, you know, we'd all be saying, well, that's well harsh. <laughs> you can't do that. I think it is. I think it is. And um, does anyone really care? About the the Bournemouth. Some people do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know they do, and I, yeah, I've, we've had this. Um, you and I have been speaking about how we've had this debate on social media with a few, of, a few of the journalists, um, with a few people who think we should be holding um, the referees to account. Um, we, we don't get to speak to the referees after the game; they don't do a press conference. So, you know, if, if we could ask them, I'm sure we would ask them about that. But honestly, when um, 97th minute winner is scored by academy graduate on his weak foot guy who's not played for months i personally don't think that the, the story of the game is is var I, I, I get people are upset but um they've won the game 
you know if you if you can't if if, if you're thinking about the fact that VAR has gone against you when all that is going on and you're not focusing on all the positives then yeah uh I, I, I don't know how you can take too much enjoyment from anything to be honest because I think <laughs> it's it's football's meant to be enjoyed it's not meant to be like the minutiae VAR and all that stuff we have to talk about it sometimes and sometimes it is the story um the Brentford game for example it, it was the story and the fact that um Arsenal actually didn't play very well in that game got overshadowed because Brentford goal shouldn't have stood and Arsenal should have got away with the three points and there, there will be times between now and the end of the season undoubtedly where VAR is the story but until then I'd rather just focus on the game uh, there's no refereeing agenda against Arsenal sometimes decisions go against them sometimes they go for them and I know a lot of fans won't like to hear that but that's personally just how I see it and I think that's the reality of the situation we should also point out that um, not quite referees, but another refereeing decision that some may view as going against Arsenal is um, the fact that the FA are looking into these celebrations after the after the after the goal. Um, I should point out it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to find Arsenal because um, they have to investigate everything that's in the referees' reports and all that kind of stuff. But I'd be surprised if Arsenal get away without some sort of sanction for that because they did technically break the rules even in the circumstances of the drama of the game. So. Yeah, I don't think referees or the FA or any of those kind of things or VAR or whatever are necessarily going to be on the top of any Arsenal fans' Christmas lists uh, come come that time of year. But I think Reese Nelson might be. So let's focus on the positive because it was a fantastic goal and a fantastic occasion. Personally, I'm not too fussed about whether the goal should or shouldn't have stood. Yeah, I, I agree. And on you know the celebration investigation, like you know, it's. Apply some context, like you know. I just hope they apply some context to this because you know, eventually you just start policing celebrations, which we've already talked about the hilarity of. of got Richard Keys to do that for them. They don't need the yeah. resources. They got Richard Keys doing it for free. Don't worry about that. Yeah, just let it let it be. Let it let it be. Um, uh, we hope we'll see, and we'll of course keep you updated on football London for any uh, instances to change in that matter. Uh, now. It, was a, it wasn't a perfect weekend because obviously Man City won their game against Newcastle. We were watching the game uh, in the press lounge before and, you know, when City's second goal went in, it was a, a frustration because obviously Newcastle looked quite good after going 1-0 down and they looked like they could have got one back. But thankfully, there are a couple of teams ex- that exist called Manchester United and Tottenham, which certainly recovered our weekend. Spurs losing, Manchester United hilariously losing 7-0 at Liverpool and any hope they had of a, being in a title race or being considered title challengers, I think, evaporated is with more so with each goal that went in the back of David De Gea's net. What did you make of the, the weekend's football overall? It also were 14 points clear of Man United going into that game. I think the notion that Man United were in the title race was ridiculous and thankfully it's been cast aside. I think what that proves that game is that um, performances are far more important than results. And yes, Man United have won the Carabao Cup. Um, if you look at the teams they had to play on the on route to that, then sort of that that achievement I think pales in comparison to to what other teams in the Premier League are doing or in the Champions League or Europa League or whatever. Um, also, you know they beat Barcelona, not a great Barcelona side in my opinion. I don't think it's anywhere near the vintage. I think that's that's a name rather than necessarily a a great side. And yes, they had a few good results, but I do think people got a little bit carried away with the the praise of them just because. 
if you look at what your eyes are telling you as opposed to what the results are telling you and I think you can see that they're way off. I think they're getting better under Ten Hag and I do think, you know, I, I'd like, I mean, that's probably not a great opinion to share on, a, on an Arsenal podcast, but I would like to see Man U up and challenging because I think it'd be great to have a proper three, four-way title race. I think that's really exciting, but um, I don't. Yeah, I, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they're anywhere near that and they'll come top four most likely if this doesn't derail their season but yeah it's it's one of them where i think people got a bit ahead of themselves and um yeah i think you know liverpool definitely put the brakes on any sort of hype train that was running away at the station and spurs um honestly i've stopped paying attention to what spurs are doing I'm just too focused on Arsenal. I didn't know they we, lost until two hours after full yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> we, we had our, a meeting at FL this morning, a sort of Monday meeting that we have for article ideas and all that kind of stuff. And we were we were talking about Zen Tottenham's day and the fact that it's a thing, but none of us are even you know really aware. I think it's just it's going to happen. It will pass, but I don't think anyone's too fussed about what Tottenham are doing right now. I think it's just focusing on Arsenal winning the Premier League. And again, this is one of them where. Um, the transfer window Spurs had got praised because of the names, but if you look at how those players are going to fit in and the areas of their squad that were still problematic, then you know you still saw a lot of holes. And I think this is one of them. The proof's definitely been in the pudding as far as Arsenal are concerned. And yeah, I think you know they're getting their revenge after last year. And yeah, thank you to Spurs kind of for for beating Arsenal last year because Aaron Ramsdale said it in the mix zone this seems to have driven them on that a little bit extra so yeah it's it's worked out pretty well Did the Liverpool win make you a bit concerned about our trip there in I think three Premier League games time More concerned yeah Um, I never thought it was going to be easy going to Anfield even in this state just as going to Old Trafford when United had just lost 4-0 to Brentford wasn't going to be an easy game. It's it's the way it goes. You can't ever um, get too carried away with yourself, especially with a team like Liverpool who still have, you know, Mo Salah's a fantastic player. Cody Gakpo's a really good player. We saw that in the Europa League this season in PSV. Um, obviously, Nunez, he's had his troubles in front of goal, but he's a good player. And you can't just cast him aside and you can't turn up to Anfield expecting to win. So... I'm more worried than I was, for sure, because I think this will give them the confidence and they'll now be battling for top four, which um, will give them an extra incentive to to go and, and, and try and win that game. But I think if Arsenal do go on to win the Premier League, the position they've got themselves in, they've kind of got themselves into a position where they don't necessarily need to win at Anfield. But I'm more worried, for sure, than, than I was. I don't think Arsenal will be on the end of a 7-0 hiding or anything like that. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. I, I I am worried about that trip. You know, I think it's obviously going to be, and I was already, already worried about it. But I think, obviously, there are a lot of supporters that were looking at Liverpool's season and thinking, OK, there's a real good chance to to end this horrible streak that's existed since 2012, which was our last league win at Anfield. Um, Podolski and Santi Pizzola with the goals in that game. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a game in which I think Arsenal will still see an opportunity. I think they will be very different to Manchester United's approach to that game. Obviously, defensively, you'd hope significantly better than what Manchester United did and more clinical in the final third when those chances arrive. And who knows, maybe a certain Gabriel Jesus will be back by then. We'll have to wait and see on that. He did the warm down, we noticed, uh, at the Emirates. 
I mean, we and the club are being very quiet, obviously, about Jesus because they don't. I don't think they want to build up expectation amongst the fan base of when that game might be that we see him. Uh, you know, for me, I'm kind of looking at the second Europa League game as maybe a target to see him get some minutes. What do you think? Yeah, maybe. Um, well, I went full Sean Dyche there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Arsenal. So I've been obviously speaking to people around the club today and um, they are very adamant still that they want to surprise us with when Jesus is back and um, I don't know if the surprise is quite going to plan given that we could all see him in the, in the cool down after the <laughs> yeah I, I you know it's, um, it's like your parents like when when you go and they buy your like Christmas present and it's like you're sitting downstairs and they bring it through the door not wrapped up and then you see a present under the tree the same size as the thing that they brought through the door <laughs> wrapped up it's like that this, who knows maybe maybe he will be in the squad for, for Lisbon away I'd personally be surprised if that happens uh, it wasn't entirely ruled out um, when I was speaking to people earlier today and spoke to a few people who said you know not 100% no but highly unlikely I, I, I think the um, Trossard situation and the Nketiah situation isn't going to impact what Arsenal used to do with Jesus um, so obviously the update on Trossard is that his in injury isn't as bad as initially feared and you know they're hopeful that he'll be back after sporting but again being assessed not 100% sure and with Nketiah they're still going to he wasn't in the squad, obviously, um, at the weekend, but they're going to make a late decision on him before they go to Portugal to decide whether they include him in the squad or not, which maybe suggests that it's not that bad. But then Arteta said last week that it could be a long-term injury. So Arsenal are so uh, cryptic with team news these days, it becomes very difficult to get anything nailed on. But yeah, it's it's. Um, I think the centre-forward option is interesting. I'd be interested to see what you think about this, actually, in terms of what they should do because obviously Gabriel Martinelli is the only option and the Europa League isn't really the priority. Would you start Smith Rowe at false nine and bring Martinelli on in the second half maybe or would you would you look to try and get the game won and play play Gabby up top? Yeah, yeah I think I, I think the latter. Um I think it's important to do the business, you know, in, in Portugal. Um I don't think you want to go into that second leg, especially with Anfield coming, you know, off a week and a bit after that game, I, I don't think you want to to have to go into that with knowing you've got to put everything into it to try and progress through to the next round because it it does then become a bit more of a distraction. You want it to be the Europa League is, I think, important this season still. I think it is a real opportunity at a European trophy for Arsenal this year, um, and I, I genuinely believe that we're the best team in the competition. Um, and so if you can get the job done in the first leg, it gives you not only the ability, of course, to go into the second leg more comfortable, but I think also the chance to throw in some players that aren't getting too many minutes. I think we might disagree on, on Kivior's potential appearance on Thursday. I don't think he's going to start, personally. I think he'll start the game uh, next week instead. Uh, and Gabriel might start this one still. Um, I might be wrong. I kind of hope I'm wrong, because I would like to see him. I would like to see him play. Um, I just... I'm just sort of so used to Arteta, you know, playing a stronger side than I ever think he might. Um, I wonder with Kimi or sort of if you're not going to play him in this game, what have you signed him for kind of thing? Um, he needs to play at some point because you can't have him not playing at all until the end of the season. And what if Arsenal need to rely on him? And uh, Arteta is very specific about his left foot centre-backs and right footed centre-backs. And if Gabriel does get injured, I think he'd want Kivior in there instead of Rob Holding. 
and or maybe Tommy Asu or whoever. So yeah, um, I think we'll see Gibby on. But maybe that'll be one to ask Arteta about in the pre-match press conference, where he'll, of course, tell us nothing. But it'll be worth asking anyway. And um, yeah, you look like tomorrow. Yeah, I think. Listen, the the noises coming out um, are that he's doing pretty well in training. Um, you know, if you look at the celebrations, the way he's grabbing Nelson, he seems to be a part of the group pretty early and I've seen a few yeah. nice videos of Saka hugging him in training drills and all that kind of stuff so I guess that's a good sign that um, he's he's ingratiated well into the group but after that 21's game you'd hope he's relatively match fit and yeah just just get him in there and give him a chance I, you know if, if Arsenal lose the first leg there's still a second leg to recover so personally I, I'd throw him in for this game but you know we'll see what happens I think you might be right but it's, it's 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 what I would do, but I'm not making yeah. a as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've heard that Saliba's been quite good for him actually. Um, okay. and that's that's interesting because obviously, if you're Kivior, the one guy you want to be good mates with is the potential right-sided centre-back partner you'd have if you were starting game. So, you know, that that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I'd like you yeah, seeing him. And hearing that he's integrating well, he's in the team, you know, he's always around players. He's never really seen walking like if I'm ever in the mix after games, he's always with somebody, talking to somebody with another player. He doesn't look like he's kind of the new kids on the block if you didn't know who he was. So that's good. And obviously seeing him involved in all the celebrations yesterday was was great. You know, he's clearly already bought into it all and sees this as an opportunity. Um I'm interested kind of around the, I need to do some research on it again to find out how many appearances you need in the Premier League to get a medal. I don't know if it's still 10. Is it 10 appearances? Um, I think surely it's not that high. I just think it was five, but I don't know if it's now it 10. It's in trouble if that's the case. Yeah, it is. How many, how many uh, appearances to get a Premier League medal uh, is the question. I'm thinking about high. 10 seems very high. Yeah, I think it's five. Um, so here we are. The champions also given 40 commemorative medals made of silver, which are 2.25 inches in diameter. They can be distributed to the manager players and officials of the club see fit, as long as every player who has made at least five Premier League appearances during the title winning season gets one. So you can actually get one even if you've not made uh, five Premier League appearances, but, and it's up to the club whether or not they distribute them out to you, but you have to make sure that everybody who has five gets one. So that's how it works. Interesting. Didn't know that. Then you learn something new every day. So, uh, yeah, 40 commemorative medals. You've got to think about how many coaches there are involved in the team. There's a lot. So. By that reckoning, Reese Nelson's technically not in line to get a, a medalist stand, is he? Because he's only played... Uh... I mean, if there's one player that deserves one, it's very Reese Nelson. At the exactly. Moment, so. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, there, yeah, I feel like we, you know, we've covered the, the, the Man City game. We talked about the weekend games. We talked about the, the potential investigation going on. Uh, the only little bit of transfer news there's been is Julian Brandt uh, being talked about at the moment. Just to briefly touch on him, he's been linked with Arsenal a hell of a lot in the last three years. First things go as far back as 2018. I was looking at earlier um, when he was at Bayer Leverkusen before he moved to Dortmund. Um, but according to Christian Falk, uh, has been speaking, and he says that this is the most interested Arsenal have ever been. So uh, what do you think about these things? Um, don't know. Uh, sorry. I haven't yeah. got any information on them. Um, it's easy to see. He'd, he'd be one of the sort of, um, I guess, players you can play anywhere in terms of winger, 
sort of technically false nine, I guess, although I don't know if he's played there very often, um, either eight position. So he'd be basically another Fabio Vieira, wouldn't he? So I guess not, not a bad player to bring in, but I think the main target, as we've reported on FL several times, is, sorry, still Declan Rice and with Jorginho there, Partey there, um, youngsters like Patino coming through still. Uh, I don't know, but let's see what Arsenal do. Maybe they'll go for Julian Brent. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him high on the priority list myself. And I'm, I'm a little bit wary of him as a player just because I don't think... I've, I've watched him. I've never quite been that impressed. But listen, Nekel Arteta is clearly a much better scout than I am, so I'll trust him on that one. Yeah, he's, he's been doing very well this season. Um, as Dortmund have gone on a very good run. And he scored he's got a similar hair to me, there. so... You know, yeah, so well, yeah, it's the battle of the the long blonde hair. Uh, <laughs> Arsenal have already fallen foul of one long blonde hair transfer. So, yeah, well, if you can say fallen foul, I think Madrid turned out pretty well so far for Arsenal. But, yeah. well, for some reason, I was thinking of Kim Kalstrom when you said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't. I didn't have as long a hair as you, but certainly was fairly long and blonde. So I think he can count in some way, shape, or form. Uh, all right, then let's go to uh, let's go to part two and take some of the questions that have been sent in by our listeners. Do you want me to go first, or have you got one ready? Uh, why don't you start us off, and I'll um, I'll see what I can find. Yeah, well, we did have a question from Kwame at uh, Rorak underscore, who said about uh, Anfield. And I, th- I think we've covered that. Spreading, um, I'm spreading all to you through the... Um, you are, yeah, I'm struggling. I'm feeling really it in the back of my throat. Um, I'm just going to take some of my pee, guys, I'm going to struggle. All right, shall I... Um, shall I yeah, go for it before I die. <laughs> yeah, I'll save you. Um, we, we kind of covered it a bit, but um, Ola Rogan says... I was hoping that RefWatch would look into Bournemouth's opener. Um, why do you think VAR didn't intervene? Um, my initial reaction is they forgot because they've got form um, and they forgot against Brentford to check. The irony was they didn't even have to draw the lines um, because they had a line drawn for them on the pitch immediately. For the whole game, there was a line there. Um the other part of me thinks that, that, that it sounds weird to say they didn't want to apply the rule, if you like, but I don't know. I, I suppose it's one of those where you're just like, I don't know what the right terminology is to use. It's just like you, it, if, if you don't, if you block that out, all of a sudden you start looking at every kickoff that's ever done to check it. And, and then let's say, I don't know, say if you kick off from play, right? And the ball doesn't go out for two minutes. And then in that, in just and on the two minutes and three seconds, they score. Are you then going to go back the whole two minutes and three seconds? The ball's not gone out of play in that time yeah. and then rule that goal out. And this is, I mean? this is the big issue with VAR is how anal do you want to get with, with all the, the minutiae of it? Because if you look at, at the end of the day, um, we want goals being scored, don't we? And mm. it, it's, as far as ball is concerned, um, yes, they slightly encroach on the on the kickoff, but that's not the reason they scored. The reason they scored is because Gabriel is poor in his clearance of the of the cross, and um, Saliba's ball watching, and Zinchenko doesn't do enough to block the cross. It's as simple as that, and it's, it's a good it's a good routine that Bournemouth admitted they have. 
worked pretty well for them. So I don't think there should be any any sort of realistic recourse on that. And yes, technically it's it's, it's a breaking of the law, but there's lots of uh, rules in football where you sort of if we, for example with the VAR with the investigation of the celebrations afterwards we're calling for leniency on that front so I don't think it's right to necessarily be calling for strictness on the other it's it's um, it's something where I think sometimes not every single letter of the law has to be followed to the nth degree and that's fine Mm. Uh, question from uh, Fahim, which says, Hi both, uh, at Fahim1995 on Twitter. Uh, Hi both, I was over the moon after we got the win, but after digesting it, I'm a bit worried that we're leaking goals and the last minute winners are brilliant, but does that worry you? Um, so we're leaking goals at home. I think Arsenal have conceded 64% of their goals at home, which is a problem. And... I'll be honest, I haven't had the chance to go through every single one of them to, to work out if there's a consistent thread. But It's a good stat if we're 64% conceded at home and we've only lost one game. That's quite a good way of looking at it. Very, yeah, very fair. And also, I think the explanation that sort of instinctively I have in my head, and again, without doing too much research, is that Arsenal tend to come onto teams a bit more at home and that means that there's a few more gaps at the back, maybe. And that, you know, we saw this with Bournemouth where you can try and exploit that on the counter and chances come from that, all that kind of stuff. So it's all possibly to do with that. But again, not 100% sure. So um, it's it's a concern, though, that Arsenal are letting in goals and they can't come back from two goals down every week. It just can't happen. And they're not, in fairness to them, Villa and, uh, Villa and, and, and Bournemouth are very much sort of, I guess specific cases but yeah I think Arteta will be concerned and they're, they're lucky that Aaron Ramsdale's in such fine form at the minute because he's he's, he's won them a few points in, in this past week yes yes he has um, oh, when when he made that save from the angle that I, we were sat at and I wasn't watching it on the TV screen I was watching it in, in real time I, I couldn't believe he'd made it. I could not, but from what, the angle on the TV, I don't actually think gives enough um, credit to the distance he has to go from one side of the goal to the other to get across to stop the shot. It was such a good save. And then you were at the park, you know, for the save against Bailey as well, which was an unbelievably good save too. He's proving to be such an integral figure. And that's, that's coming off the back of, I think, some, some murmurs of growing criticism in his game and being a potentially weaker part of the sport, which I think he's now certainly put to bed. Yeah. Um, so another, another question here is uh, on Facebook, and it says, um, what did you guys make of Emil Smith-Rowe's performance? I was happy that he got the assist, but slightly underwhelmed by uh, the performance overall. Is it a concern that he's looking so rusty, even after being back within the squad for a couple of weeks now? Uh, in short, no, I don't think so. Um, I think obviously this is, it was never in the plan for him to play from the, whatever it was, like 20th minute or something like that, um, that he came onto the field. That was never, ever going to be in the plan. He certainly would have been expecting to do that. And I think that it shows kind of how a player that's been out for so long is perhaps still a bit nervous um, of re-injuring themselves because sometimes it can take a few games for you to trust your body again in those moments. I think it shows kind of 
how far off we are from seeing Smith Rowe at his best again. The surgery was designed to prevent this injury from happening for the long term. And they made the club made the decision to do the surgery in a situation, as far as I understand it, where he could have gone through a process of, of rehab without surgery, but there was and it would have been a shorter return time, but there was always the risk that it would re-injure himself. And so instead they thought, no, we'll do the surgery and for the long-term benefits of having him in the squad. And so I'm happy that he's back because I think he's going to be important between now and the end of the campaign. I don't think that game's anything to be concerned about. If we are talking, I don't know, at the end of March and he's still putting in that level of performance and he's not exceeded that, then I think we can have a bit of a chat. But I don't think at this moment in time I'm worried. What about you? Um, I guess if you look at it in itself, I, I agree. But in terms of the impact Arsenal need a Smith Road to have on the on the squad, especially with the injuries to Trossard and Jesus and um oh god, Eddie and Ketia. <laughs> it's 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 a concern and Arsenal do need to be able to rely on him between now and the end of the season because he's an important member of the squad and he's he's taking up a place on that bench and when Arsenal find themselves in a position where they're chasing games like they did on on Saturday, they're gonna to need to turn to a Mill Smith Road and that will happen now at the end of the season. Um, I agree with you. He didn't look confident in his body, and that's a concern. I didn't see enough of those moments from Mill Smith Rowe when he's in full flow, when he just picks a ball up on the left and just drives, and just he's he's so quick over short spaces, and he's such a good dribbler. And I didn't really see any of that. He looked to take the safe option, I think, too many times. In fairness to him, there wasn't much space to drive into because Bournemouth were defending so deep. But yeah, it's it's a little bit of a concern. But listen, he'll he'll play against Sporting. He might even play next week against Fulham. Probably not a starting role, but off the bench. And yeah, then you start to gear him up. And then, like you say, you can judge him. And I think, like you say, he might be one who's ready to fully fire after the international break, which will be interesting to see. But I wouldn't go too crazy. I, I got a lot of stick for giving him a bad rating in my player ratings. And maybe it was a bit harsh given that he's just come back. But I wasn't too impressed by him. But like you say, it wasn't the plan to, to give him 50 or so minutes. It was the plan to to just ease him back in. And he's been out for a very, very long time. And Arsenal are wary of how fragile his body's been in the past. And, and they don't want to risk re-entering it at all. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a tricky one to judge. And I think we all hope that Emil smith gets better because he's such a good player. And if he's fully fit, then he can be such an asset to this Arsenal squad. And he could be the difference between them winning the title and not. So, yeah, fingers crossed he'll, he'll be he'll be fit relatively soon. And in that, what we described as a relatively lower level performance from him, he still got an assist, you know, and a really important one um, and had an impact on the game. Um, so that's that's really good to see. Um, let's, uh, sticking with the Smith-Rowe theme, actually, uh, Mike Hickey on Discord says, Martinelli's centre, Smith-Rowe left and Tierney at left back. Tini and Smith always tend to work well together. Do you think Tini returning into the team could help Smith Rowe? Yeah, possibly, because um, Smith Rowe likes to come into the middle, doesn't he? He likes to take up those pockets that Zinchenko likes to take up. And yeah, I can see it working for sure. Uh, I, I, I think Smith Rowe, will he start on, on, on Thursday? I don't know if he'll start actually, because I think it'd be Nelson who starts on the left with Martelli through the middle and Saka on the right, most likely. I think we'll see Saka. I don't think he'll go for a front three of Martinelli, Nelson, Smith Rowe. So, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one to see what Arsenal do there. I, I, um, I, I 
love to see Smithrow and Tierney back together because I think it's a, it's a, it's a really good combination. It worked well for us last season and Smithrow scored 10 or so goals, was it, last season? So, yeah, I think we all want to see him back and firing. What, what do you think on that one? Yeah, I just can't imagine a world in the Premier League where Tierney starts over Zinchenko anymore. No. Um, and I, whilst I think in the Europa League, where is probably where we'll see the most of Smith Rowe starting this season, if we continue in the competition, I think that's where we'll see Tierney come in. I expect Tierney to start on Thursday. Um, but for, for every bit of good that I like about Tierney, he just isn't Zinchenko. And Zinchenko is so imperative and integral to what Arteta wants from that position in his team. And I thought Tierney came on and tried to play that style when he did come on um, in uh, the Everton game um, in midweek. And I thought, you know, you could see him, he was clearly playing inside and playing between the two centre-backs and slightly further ahead. But it's just not, it just isn't. And I don't think he'll ever be that. You know, it's, I think he will, the most likely thing is that my expectation will be that he does move on in the summer and returns to playing a more traditional left-back style with whatever team, be it Newcastle or somebody else. And he'll flourish in that role again. And maybe it'll be like people going, well, look, this is what we could have had if we'd have used him. But the reality is, is that I think what Arteta has brought into the team with Zinchenko has absolutely been one of the big reasons why we we're able to elevate ourselves to this dominant level in the league so far this season. And I don't think that if, I, I genuinely think if we didn't have Zinchenko this season, we wouldn't be title challengers. That's how important I believe Zinchenko has been to us this season. So, um, yeah, I, I think that he'll get a chance to play a Smith around the Europa. But I don't think that Tierney, um, unfortunately, has a long-term future in the Arsenal first team anymore, which sounds harsh, but it's, I think it's more of a credit to Zinchenko than it is a slight on, on Tierney. Um, any questions that left on your side? Um, just scrolling through. Um, what youngsters are you hopeful of seeing in the Europa League on Thursday? None, because <laughs> I, I don't think there will be. Uh, I think that some will go in terms of just being on the bench. Um, I think you might get one or two. I'll be at the open training session on Wednesday, so I'll see if any of them are indeed are training um, ahead of that clash. Um, but, I, yeah, I mean, the obvious one, it would have been a striker, and Butler or Deji has gone off to uh, Accrington Stanley. I'm actually going to be seeing him play uh, on Saturday because my other half's family are big Charlton fans. They very kindly, I say kindly, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse having to go watch Charlton these days, but Charlton are going to play Accrington Stanley and Butler and Deji might indeed be starting up top for Accrington Stanley. He did start their last game up top, so I'll get a decent look at how he's getting on. Other than that, Amario Kojadubri is the obvious one because um, he's obviously been the bench numerous times. Um, and then beyond that, it's it's a bit tricky. Maybe, I don't know if Lino Sosa is now registered because I know there was a bit of an issue in the first half of the season where he wasn't, I'm not sure whether or not he was registered for European games. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. He was, there was, the, the reason I told was he was just not registered and um, I don't know if he's in the squad. Uh, that, that might be one. That you do get a second registration period in January. Do, so, do, do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know yeah, if it's now. Uh, probably Zinchenko will go. Probably Tini will start. So I can't see Sosa getting a game. And I think the twenty ones are playing tonight at Meadow Park in Liverpool. So uh, yeah, unlikely.
Yeah, as I said, I, I think Kojo Duba is probably all you're going to get, perhaps. Um, and that's only because Trotter probably won't make it and Inkekia probably won't make it. So he'll probably be there in place of, of them. Um, let's go to uh, David. Again, still on this Europa League kind of thing. He says, do we make huge changes for the Europa League games or do we keep the team strong with minimal changes and risk of injury? I say that again, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sorry. That's, uh, so, do you think we'll make big? Do we make big changes? Rather, than do you think? But do you, would you make big changes for the Europa League games, or do you keep the team strong uh, with minimum changes but risk injury? Let's go through it player by player then. So, Turner in for Ramsdale. Yeah, yeah I think we can agree on that. I suppose Tommy Asu technically isn't a change, but I'd, I'd expect him to start. Yeah, we've already debated Kivi or I, I, think... I, I think White might start this. Interesting. Um, I, I expect Ben White to start Fulham, so I don't think he'll start Ooh. Lisbon. Um, yeah, I think it'll be Tommy. I think we'll see. Oh my gosh, uh, Kieran Tierney come in, uh, yeah. Rob Gordon come in, Jorginho come in. So, how many changes is that? We're already on. We've already made five, I th- uh, four. You've already made four. I suppose Tommy Asu's not a change, but he's a change in the starting lineup. Yeah. So. Jacker in for Vieira is technically a change, isn't it? But I, I think we'll see Jacques and Erdegaard in the midfield. I think Arteta will want to, to get this game won early and then be able to make changes in the second leg. So I think Jacques and Erdegaard will both play, particularly given that Jacques didn't start on uh, Saturday. Maybe Fabio Vieira instead of Bukayo Saka, but I'd be surprised. I think Saka will play. And as I said earlier, Nelson has to start on the left wing and then it's probably Martinelli through the middle because I think he's the only option. So how many changes is that? That's, um, so you don't think Smith Rowe will start then? I don't think Smith will start, no. He didn't look like a guy who was capable of, of playing um, from the start to me on Saturday. So I, I think we'll see him from the bench most likely. Yeah. Do you think there's any shout that we might see Vieira in a false nine? Uh, he played Porto a couple of times. He did play there, yeah. I think that was in more of a two, I think. Yeah, Porto second striker. Or four yeah. two kind of thing. So... I don't know. And also with Martinelli being there, I don't know why you'd necessarily want to risk playing Vieira there. I think if, if Vieira does start, it'll probably be on the wing. But um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, uh, that's me done with questions. Um, are you done? I think I'm done too, yeah. In terms of the voice and the questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quick while we're ahead before my voice does give up the go. Listeners, thank you so much uh, for tuning in. Uh, apologies, it's not been the usual audio crispness for both environmental reasons and health reasons, um, but I'm sure Kyle will be back to his fit and fire and best uh, next week, as hopefully will I, uh, having my own little crack halfway through. But uh, yes, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do indeed drop a like on the show, drop a rating on iTunes and Spotify, or wherever you happen to listen to this on audio platforms as well. You can check out all of our written work. You can check out Kyle's piece explaining that uh, the FAR or the, the powers of be are looking into uh, the potential celebrations if that indeed is worthy of yet another historic fine in this fine season for Arsenal. Um, yeah, when, it's, when this season is going to be described as a fine season, I think that that has so many meanings these days for Very Arsenal. Nice. Um, but Kai, thank you for your time, mate. Even in your ill health, I appreciate it very much. That's my pleasure. That fine pun has made it all worthwhile. So, all good. Thank you very much. Absolutely. You can follow Kai on Twitter at KaiKai97. You can follow myself at Tom Canton Media. And you can follow all of our written work at football.london. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. We'll see you again next week. Fingers crossed for the episode. We'll be talking all about the Europa League first leg and the Fulham away game as well. 
But we'll see you then. Have a great day, great evening, great morning, wherever you have to be in the world. And as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way with our views from the client. Oh,